Hello, and welcome to What's Killing My Kale. This podcast is a production of the University of Minnesota Extension, hosted by Extension educators Annie Claude and Natalie Hoytel. In each episode, we interview a farmer, researcher, or educator about a timely topic around growing fruit and vegetable crops in Minnesota. Usually we talk about pests, but sometimes we venture into other important issues of the moment. All right, so today we are talking about transplants. This is Natalie, and I am with Alyssa, who is a farmer at Open Hands. Um, And, well, some of our episodes last year were really dedicated to specific IPM topics. We've decided to expand a little bit. Um, So while we're still doing some of those, like, really specific research episodes, um, we wanted to expand to have broader discussions with farmers kind of over the course of this season about different aspects of production. And so since it's spring and everyone's planting right now, we thought it'd be a good time to talk about transplants. Um, And Alyssa has worked on a lot of different farms or really different Mm -hmm. scales and with different missions even as well. And so we thought she'd be a really good person to start with to kind of talk about how that whole, the whole process of transplants has kind of differed in different places and things that she's learned along the way. So do you want to just introduce yourself, kind of talk about why you're a farmer, why you love farming, the different kinds of farms that you've worked on? Sure, sure. Um, so uh, my name is Alyssa Jacobson, and um, I really got into vegetable production in college when I was studying at University of Minnesota Morris um, as an environmental studies major. And it, um, it became apparent pretty quickly that agriculture is a thing that can really make or break our environment, um, especially um, in the face of climate change and, and where we're at for the next um, next foreseeable future. Um, but as I really dove deep um, down sustainable agriculture and, and vegetables, it um, became apparent that um, community building and rural development um, was a really important part of, of uh, food that I hadn't thought about and that I was really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I graduated college, um, I started my own farm, uh, CSA on my grandparents' farm, and I did that for three years. Started really small with lots of mistakes right out of college, um, coming from some of the best soil in the world to some not great soil. Um, and where so, was that? Um, and that was uh, right outside North St. Paul. It's a little mm-hmm. island um, tucked into suburbia. It's a 15-acre farm. Um and uh, uh, my grandpa was a racehorse trainer, so they had horses. Um, and 15 acres with horses in the city is a very ambiguous um, uh, farm for some county commissioners. And so their, <laughs> their agricultural tax break was taken away. Um, and so that was part of the, um, the, the inspiration to start a farm there at mm. that moment. So, um, but we got their agricultural tax break back, and, and that was good. So um, so I did that for three years and started really small, um, started with only seven members. Um, and then um, by the end, uh, by the third year, I was um, uh, 35 members and then also had a small um, uh, lane hen CSA option, too. You could get some eggs from me. Um, and then after that, I decided I wanted to look at different farms and different ways of doing. Um, and so I worked um, um, for a couple, uh, for a nonprofit, Frogtown Farm. Um, uh, and um, and it was a very interesting farm 
in their first year of production. Um, it's a six acre farm in the heart of St. Paul. Um, and they are exceptionally mission driven to um, get food into underserved communities um, and really do a lot of um, community service and education and, and community building through food in the city. Um, so that was a really interesting, great place to work. Um, and then I worked at um, Wajupi Tribal Gardens, which is owned by the Shakopee Metawapatan Sioux community. Um, and, um, and so that was an interesting farm because it was much bigger. Um, and, um, uh, and it was also, uh, but it was also mission driven and, and owned by the tribe. And, um, and so that was, that was an interesting experience as well. And I worked there actually for two different years with two different managers. So it was a really interesting experience to be on the same farm, same mission, mm -hmm. but different managers and how that all works. Hmm. Um, and so, n um, now I work at Open Hands Farm, which is a 17 acre vegetable farm in Northfield. Um, and, um, about uh, a third of what they do is, um, for CSA and the other two thirds is for wholesale crops. So, okay. yeah. Awesome. And there were also some goats involved at some point, right? Oh, yeah. I love goats. <laughs> <laughs> I love goats. But um, so when I, um, that was my uh, graduation present to myself from graduating college was getting some goats and having them at my grandparents' farm. And so, um, yeah, that was pretty fun. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so this time of the season is always really crazy. There's a whole lot to do. Mm -hmm. What? do you think is the most exciting part of this season and what is like the most challenging part? Mm -hmm. Um, well, the most challenging part is really on my mind right now because we have some storms coming up, but I think the most challenging part is every day your plans can change drastically with soil moisture and plowing and storms and, um, you know, the weather and the soil moisture is so crucial to what you're doing. So you have to really be flexible, um, but also have a really solid plan that you've made in the winter so that you're able to adjust mm -hmm. on a moment's notice with, with what's going on, um, which is really hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and you know, the, you know, the, the great thing is just, you can start eating green things again, which is so <laughs> lovely, you know? Um, um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's just, um, yeah, so it's great seeing baby plants and um, seeing new life exploding out of the ground, and um, so it's it's a really optimistic and mm -hmm. um, and and beautiful time. Yeah, and yeah. delicious the asparagus coming in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So let's talk about transplants a little bit. Sure. Um, so we thought this was a good topic because we have been getting. A lot of different questions about transplants, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. um, some really technical questions, like my plants got sunscald, are they going to recover? What can I do about it? Uh, people sending in pictures of maybe like diseased plants potentially, kind of wondering what things are, what's going on. Uh, and then a lot of questions more about the logistics of it, like people who are maybe thinking about scaling up and wondering like how much green greenhouse space do I invest in? Mm -hmm. um, how do I maximize that space throughout the season if I'm going to invest in it to like start transplants, yeah. things like that. Um, so there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> um, maybe do you want to just start with like describing some of the systems 
um, that you've used for starting seeds at the different farms that you've worked at? Like, have you always had access to greenhouse space? If not, what yeah. have you done otherwise? Yeah. My first year farming, an epic failure was using <laughs> um, egg cartons and, <laughs> okay. and putting, because I was so had no money, um, just out of college, and... Um, you know, filling them with, with soil, planting seeds in them and, um, and, uh, putting them in, um, cookie sheets and bottom watering them. Mm -hmm. And that was working pretty good. I was getting some good germ rates and. Was that just like in a window or did you have. It was on a table in front of a window and there was a very sunny, like upper kitchen at my, at my grandparents' farm. And then, um, and that walks out to a deck. So I thought, oh, perfect. It's like this beautiful sunny day. I'll just put them all out on the deck, oh, no. <laughs> and they all got terrible, terrible sun scald, and I, I did lose a lot of plants, and, um, uh, and so yeah. So my my advice is is to try to prevent sun scald from happening as much <laughs> as ha- you know, and so which um, which is easy to say after the fact, but um, but yeah, prevention is is really is really key. Um, so. Um, Ever after that year, I have always been really fortunate to have access to greenhouses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, um, you know, it, it really didn't make sense for me to be growing on a half acre on land that I didn't own to put yeah. up the infrastructure of a greenhouse. And I know a lot of people who start start with renting um, um, and um, or, you know, just don't have the funds to put up a greenhouse. And so yeah. um, there's there's a a lot of people who are willing to trade labor for for starts um in this this spring greenhouse season is such a weird time to hire someone um so but it is also nice to have have extra hands so Mm -hmm. reach out to your network of people or put an ad in land stewardship magazine just looking for greenhouse space if, if that's an option um that you think that you could that you could do, and is that um, is that what you did? Did you use that is like what I did. or what sort of like I, outreach methods um, do you? Yeah, I was really fortunate in um, um, my network. I um, was uh, I'm also a violin teacher, and so one of my students, um, her dad was an organic farmer, and so I was able to trade violin lessons for starts. Okay. Um, so I did that for two years, um, and then um, and then a friend of mine who was um, who was actually one of my old bosses um, was um, he was running a six or seven acre farm, and so his extras was more than enough for my one acre farm mm-hmm. for a lot of different things. So um, I helped him, and I didn't have anything going on in in February and March, so I helped him with a lot of planting then, and then mm-hmm. I was able to get plants throughout the season okay. and helped him with another couple um, uh, big planting days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that worked out really well um, for us. So, um, so, yeah, not being able to, not feeling, feeling like you're, um, I'd encourage you to, to be comfortable asking people if yeah. they um, would be willing to, to trade labor or money for starts mm-hmm. um, because a lot of people, a lot of people, I think, would say yes. And don't feel like you're inconveniencing them by asking. You know, right. you, can, you can feel confident to ask. So, 
But Sustig and Moses and Land Stewardship Project are all really great um, places for um, for putting in ads. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So now that you, for a while, have been in or working on farms where you've had access to greenhouse space, what are your thoughts, I guess, about, like, maximizing that space throughout the rest of the growing season and really, like, making sure you're getting as much as possible out of that investment? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, I mean, I think the number one thing is that, that I, I would encourage people to do is having an exceptional planting plan for exactly what you need when you need to plant it so that at any, before you plant anything, you know exactly how many plants you have in the greenhouse every week. So you, so you really, um, go in knowing what your needs are. Um, and, um, and then seeing if there's, if there's gaps in there, you know, like, oh, like the middle of June, I don't have anything in the greenhouse. Maybe there's something I can fill in there. Um, um, and, um, or maybe you want to, um, do microgreens or, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, um, or, uh, in, in the late fall and uh, expand your season a little bit that way. Um, so seeing where the holes are and then also looking at your labor needs throughout the whole season and not just your planting, um, and space needs. Um, because maybe you don't have anything in the greenhouse in August, but that's because you have, you know, an acre of cantaloupe that need picking every day. (laughs) So, um, so being realistic with your with your time needs as well, and mm-hmm. and um, a greenhouse is a really amazing investment, um, but um, but you can also have some freedom to let it go at certain points of the year. If yeah. if you're um, if you're making money in the field and not the greenhouse, spend your time in the field. Yeah, um, yeah. I know Open Hands Farm um, where I work now. We have. 17 acres of vegetables but it's we only have transplants for i think this is a ballpark number so don't quote me but i think it's only five acres Mm -hmm. but it's a pretty small percentage of what we're growing is transplanted um and that was pretty intentionally done um and that's just because um they crunched the numbers and all the different crops and the ones that were profitable were direct seed ones. So they, they maximized those. Um, so looking at that broader picture as well, before you make decisions about your greenhouse space. Yeah. Knowing your markets really well. Yes. Oh my gosh. Markets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Every far, well, not every farmers, but a lot of farmers least favorite subject. <laughs> yeah. Telling people or asking people to buy your product can be really hard. Yeah. Um, but it's important. So getting into like a little bit more of the technical aspects of mm-hmm. starting transplants, um, do you want to just share experiences with things like I think just balancing like heat and water and light and the yeah. kind of day-to-day technical maintenance? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, start your green... So most greenhouses are heated in some way. Mm-hmm. Start your greenhouse heat before you need it, because oftentimes when you start it, something is wrong, and you don't want to be in a panic um, that you need to start your crop plants at a certain day, and the 
you know, mechanic can't come out and fix it for another two weeks. So start it in advance. Make sure everything's running well. Your propane tank is filled up nicely and, um, mm -hmm. um, or wood stove, however you have it heated. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk really quickly about heating. Okay. Um, yeah. There was some, one high tunnel at least that burned down this <gasps> winter. Oh my, oh, that's terrible. And, yeah. So like safety is a big part yeah. of heating. Yeah, absolutely. What methods have you used for heating? Have you ever used a wood stove? Yeah. So Open Hands Farm has um, a wood boiler. So there's a separate unit away from the house and barns and everything mm -hmm. that the fire's in. And then it's a closed loop system of water circling around the fire, getting hot, okay. and then going out. Um, and they heat the pack shed, their house, and the greenhouse with that. Okay. Um, and so... Um, it's, it's certainly, that's a, that's an investment, mm -hmm. but for them, it's safe. Um, it, um, and, and you're able to heat a lot of things with it, not just your greenhouse. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a lifestyle choice to heat with wood, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, um, and, and they're pretty committed to their, um, uh, to their carbon footprint and, um, sustainability. And so they, they felt like that that was, um, in line with their values and made sense financially as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, and as farmers, we're always really excited to jerry rig things ourselves <laughs> and make it work and we don't have money and, um, fire and explosions. And that's really something that you want to like be a hundred percent sure is, um, is, uh, safe. Yeah. Um, cause that's a lot, it's a huge investment to have go up in flames literally. So, yeah. um, call a professional, um, to set up your, your propane heater if you need to. Um, and, uh, that's a, that's a really good investment. Yeah. Your safety and, and your infrastructure's safety. Right. So, yeah. So one thing you guys are doing is you've got the partition halfway through the greenhouse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's fairly common. Yeah. I've seen that in a number of places, mm -hmm. but can you talk about that in relation to yeah, like the process of hardening off and how just having mm -hmm. that partition can be really useful for heating costs and efficiency and then also yeah. like kind of all the benefits of that system. Yes, absolutely. So our um, so there's a lot of different partitions that you can have in your greenhouse. Ours is like the easiest. It's just a piece of plastic from that is from our greenhouse, um, one of its old um, plastic shells. Um, and so it's just a big plastic sheet that you um, hang up on the rung of the hoop. You climb up on a ladder and then you just um, fold it in between the rung and the plastic mm -hmm. and then clamp it into place. So you can move it in 10 minutes. It's really simple, um, but you can move it wherever you need. So if you're starting and you just have a couple of, you know, you only need two tables to be mm -hmm. heated, then you can just heat that much. Um, and then we also use it for um, a um, like baby hardening off area because you have, you know, a third of your greenhouse isn't heated as much as the rest. Um, so when you're hardening off plants, you're really, you can think about it in the like two things that you're conditioning your plants to, um, to change is one is more sunlight and one is um, a bigger range of temperatures mm -hmm. um, and having it be colder. Um, so, um, so we put, um, so we put our plants on the opposite side of the partition where it's cooler 
and then we put them right on the ground which is covered in landscape fabric and that way they can root down mm -hmm. um, so plants that um, you know need to be in the greenhouse longer because it's still snowing outside like it was last year they could um, get their roots down and not become as root bound because mm -hmm. uh, they needed to hang out in the greenhouse a little longer um, and then it's also a more gentle weaning um, of the hardening off process um, where we um, have them in the cooler half of the greenhouse for a week and then we put them outside in the sunlight for a day and a night and then we transplant them. Mm -hmm. So, And that I should say is particular to Open Hands Farm that might not work for everyone because we have really basic water and um, that has a really high um, uh, carbonate count in it so um, it binds up a lot of the minerals and so our plants get way more stressed out in our greenhouse um, because of the water than a lot of other places mm -hmm. so that is what works for us and of course every farm is very different with a lot of different ways of doing it so. yeah mm -hmm. do you have any i guess from other farms that you've worked on mm -hmm. so the system you have now is very very different from I guess like really small scale growers will often right. be like physically carrying things in and out. It, yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess what other yeah. sort of like middle ground systems for that process have you experienced? Yeah. Or maybe not middle ground, but just different types of systems. Yeah. So um, a really great one is like a cold frame. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, basically a little mini lean to for your um, off of your greenhouse. Um, that has just like a roll-up side on the side of your greenhouse. It can have a roll-up um, uh, plastic on top. Mm -hmm. So that way um, you um, you can roll it down at night and they're nice and covered. You can roll it up during the day and they're exposed. And then um, having it right next to your greenhouse is a benefit because you can have one person standing in there, one person standing in your greenhouse and just pass them through the wall of the greenhouse if it's oh, yeah. if it's a if it's a roll up side and that yeah. works well. Nice. Um, and so the the other um, method is get a get a really big cart. Invest in carts. Carts will save your life because <laughs> it takes so much time to carry flats and they're so delicate and um, yeah. So just just get just get really nice carts. Yeah. Yeah. Um. A little bit of a tangent, but one other yeah. thing I noticed was you guys were using some biocontrol in the greenhouse. Yes, yes. And it just reminded me of a farm that I worked at where they were so they're transplanting cabbage, mm -hmm. and so they transplant it and then immediately put row cover over mm -hmm. it. And they were having horrible aphid infestations. Mm. I was like, well, <laughs> the cabbage yeah. plants are covered in aphids, and then we're putting row cover over. Right. And mm. it's trapping all the aphids in and giving them a cabbage buffet. Yes. And so... Yeah. Aphid just paradise. Thought, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Kind of investing yep. in biocontrol early yeah. on was yeah. a good strategy. Absolutely. How well has it worked for you, I guess? Um, yeah. So last year was the first time there was aphids here. And, um, and so, uh, Erin, one of the owners of Open Hands, she, um, and the greenhouse is like, you know, um, kind of her realm. She does, mm -hmm. she really goes deep on that. Um, and so she, um, just brought in the Asian beetles that were hanging out in the house into the greenhouse and they were able to do the job, um, because she caught the problem 
really early on. Um, but this year we had a really intense aphid infestation, and so um, Aaron bought um, lacewing eggs and ladybugs, and um, and it, it's been amazing. Yeah, mm -hmm. we spent we spent one day going through all the crops where the aphids were were really problematic and killing them by hand, and then um, and then we released all of um, all of our um, predators. Um, and uh, and that has been been really effective. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, um, Open Hands Farm has also um, done a lot of work um, with um, pollinator strips mm -hmm. and having um, environments for predatory wasps and other um, natives to to hang out in. And so it takes a while for that um, that insect population of predators and predators on our plants to balance out but eventually um it can make a really big difference yeah. um and so that has been a big part of their strategy as well but um we do not we do not um uh cover anything in remay um that's already infested with something um yeah. we just leave it out and um and hope that, that things take care take care of themselves mm -hmm. so and for the most part on this farm We've been really fortunate in that it has. So. Yeah. 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 So two final things I want to talk about, and I think they're kind of related, are just different technologies, I guess, for transplanting, mm -hmm. um, different systems, yeah, and the impact on your body. So like yes. the, yeah. <laughs> the farm that I most recently worked on, yeah. we just, we had, I think, a really standard transplanter where you'd sit uh -huh. and the the transplants were at eye level mm -hmm. and we would like pick out each one individually and kind of bend down mm. and plant it directly. Mm -hmm. And it was like, by the end of the day, your back would be so, or you would just yeah. be in a lot of pain. Yeah. And so a lot of these systems, I think there are probably much fancier systems and better systems, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but some of them are not the most ergonomic or like good for your totally. body. Yeah. So I was curious just to hear your perspective on taking care of your body yeah. in this process and yeah. like maybe different tools or different types of, I don't know, whether it's machinery or whether it's just like, mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about like paper pop technologies, things like yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the balances and good things that you've yeah. found along the way? Yeah. Um, so one of the farmers that I would trade labor with um, for starts um, is um, Steady Hands Farm different than Open Hands Farm, but <laughs> both are wonderful and do really good work. Um, and um, Steady Hands has a um, uh, has a paper pot transplanter. And for those of you who aren't familiar with them, they're, um, it's a need to look them up because they're so cool, but they're um, these little paper cells that you can fill with dirt and then, uh, and then plant them just like a normal um, plastic tray. Um, but the <clears throat> the cells are all connected um, in one line. So once you your plants are ready to plant, you stick them in a little wagon. And then as you pull the wagon down the field, it unravels your cell of plants and, and sticks them all in this great little line. And then the paper dissolves, is compostable. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's really waste efficient. You can transplant so quickly. You can also, um, do different patterns so you can plant onions and lettuce in the same um, field uh, or in the same bed 
Um, and and um, by the time you harvest the lettuce, the onions take up that space. Um, so it's incredible for so much, but the one caveat is that if you're cultivating with a tractor, it's really difficult to get straight enough lines mm -hmm. that you can go through and cultivate with your tractor after, afterwards and not kill all your plants. Um, but depending on your scale, um, you know, that um, you might not be cultivating with a tractor or you might find different ways to get really straight lines with your paper plot um, transplanter. So, um, so I, I do love that one, um, especially <laughs> the lack of waste is yeah. really great. Um, um, at um, Wajupi um, uh, Tribal Gardens, they, um, we had a 185 member CSA and also sold to some farmer markets. Um, and so they used um, a transplanter that would ride behind the tractor. Um, we're just sitting normally, and then the, your um, plants are on a tray right in front of you. So you're just grabbing from in front of you. Mm -hmm. And then there's a wheel of little um, clamps that come up and um, right at hand level. And then you can just uh, go from the, the tray right over to the clamp and then it swings down on its way to the ground and then deposits the, the plant in the ground. So that one is, and I, I don't know its technical name, I just know it as the transplanter, <laughs> um, but the one that's not as ergonomic that you were talking about was probably the water wheel. Um, and that one is terrible on your body after <laughs> a while. So um, the, the transplanter um, I found is, is works really well. Mm -hmm. um, at open hands, we transplant everything by hand. Okay. Um, we sometimes borrow our neighbor's um, transplanter, and we've timed it out. And depending on who is transplanting, which is really uh, by hand, which is really important, um, it's three three minutes a bed faster to use the mechanical transplanter. Okay. Which. If you think about how much it costs to buy that thing and the, and the, the gas to run it and the yeah. tractor maintenance and you need three people, you need someone to drive the tractor, who knows what they're doing, yep. two people to be transplanted behind you. Um, so, so they've found since, um, so Open Hands has found that since we don't do so much mm -hmm. um, transplanting, um, uh, it, it makes sense just to do it by hand. Yeah. Um, but feeling free to like, stop and and you know um if you're if you're transplanting mechanically i love walking the row that you just planted while the tractor is turning around mm -hmm. and that gives your body a chance to stand up and walk around um and so you're just changing position a little bit yep. um instead of just being like leaned way back trying to plant your your plants in the water wheel all day yeah that's exhausting it's cool that you actually spend the time to calculate it or that veterinarian did. Oh yeah. Did. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I think yeah, we sometimes think like, oh, everyone's got a transplanter, so I should have a transplanter. Yeah. That's just how it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, yeah, the reason I asked that question, I was planting onions last night. Uh huh. And it was like, this is so much nicer on yeah. my body. And yeah. It doesn't feel that much slower. Yeah. And so. It's not. Yeah, it's, well, I, I it's, will say the ca huge caveat there. It there's it a big difference thinking. on someone who's transplanted for 10 years and someone who's doing yes. it for their first year. So if you're relying on, um, you know, college interns, um, 
for your transplanting labor, then a mechanical transplanter might be a better option yeah. for you. But if you have a returning crew who's super solid, or if it's just you and it's a smaller scale, um, doing it by hand might be the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. In general, I think just it's a good lesson to be like thinking oh about goodness. those things and calculating yes. out your time investment. Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. Absolutely. It's obviously extra work to do that, but yeah. it sounds like here it made a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be, you know, like that much, you know, if you wear a watch, you know, you look at your watch when you start a row and then you look at the watch when you're done right. and, um, and just jot it down on your crop plan that yeah. you're probably carrying with you. And, um, you know, the next day you're planting by hand cause your neighbor is using their transplanter and <laughs> you just jot it down how long it takes. Um, um, but yeah, that's, I do, I do love timing things out and having, you know, it just makes planning your day a lot easier if you know that irrigation does take two hours and you yeah. just have to plan in two hours for irrigation. Yeah. Even though if you think about it, you're like, oh, that should take a half an hour. Something will go wrong and <laughs> it does take two hours. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, so planning, planning that in is good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Any final thoughts you want to share? I, I have found that, um, that er, like late May and early June, this is a, such a critical month, um, for farmers. If you miss your windows with weeds or yeah. with your planting schedule or the transplanting schedule, mm -hmm. like this month seems kind of dreamy because everything's green for the first time or never, <laughs> but, um, but really locking in, um, your, um, uh, you know, soil moisture, weather, and being able to change your plans and know exactly what you need to accomplish by what dates, yeah. um, really makes a, makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk and for yes. sharing your experiences. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for having me. <laughs>